Welcome once again to Truth Script Tuesday. I'm your host, John Harris. Happy 4th of July. Uh, it is 4th of July today. As I'm recording this, I'm actually smoking some meat outside for a family get-together later today. Looking forward to that. I hope whatever you're doing uh, is enjoyable, and uh, and I hope you take some time today to think about uh, what 4th of July means. I know it is difficult for Christians in some ways after having a whole month in June called Pride Month, and uh, the, the phrase love is love uh, put on everything. In fact, it was on the grocery shopping bags at the, the local grocery store near me. Uh, it's hard in this circumstance sometimes to wonder how love for one's country, which generally that's the theme of the 4th of July, fits into that, and it doesn't. <laughs> but we we've have uh, conflicting narratives of what love is, and, and also, uh, frankly, conflicting narratives of what the country is. Well, what is America? Uh, what was it meant to be? Um, so uh, I know all that's going on, but uh, at the very least, uh, even for those who have a hard time squaring uh, the, the founders and what they believed and what they were trying to set up versus what we have today, uh, you can at least celebrate some of the good and positive, true, valuable things from the tradition that uh, as Americans, and I'm assuming most of the audience is, that we've inherited. So um, with that, I just wanted to uh, bring your attention to three articles today. Uh, I'll save announcements for the end, but there's three articles today uh, that I want to talk about, really good articles on the TruthScript website. And uh, just a reminder to everyone, TruthScript does exist really on uh, the generous donations of people who have volunteered their time and uh, on the generous donations of people like yourselves. So if you go to the TruthScript website, you can scroll down to the bottom and there is a tab that says donate. If you like the content that uh, TruthScript is putting out there, then you can go to that tab and donate. Okay, well, uh, today uh, I want to start off, we're, we're going to lead up to kind of a 4th of July, at least, a, a, I don't know, <laughs> it's not directly 4th of July, but it is very applicable to 4th of July theme here. Uh, but I want to start off with um, this particular article called Why I Reject Female Pastors by Susan White. Uh, you can follow Susan White on uh, Twitter. Uh, actually, that's where I think most people know Susan White from. Uh, she's with Steadfast Women. But she wrote this article. I believe she's in the Southern Baptist Convention. They just had this big uh, debate over this. And uh, she has an interesting perspective because she came from the United Methodist Church. So I'll read you a part of this article. She says, I grew up in the United Methodist Church where women were ordained as pastors my entire life. I saw no issue with this and once filled the pulpit myself when our pastor was out of town. So she's saying, I've done this. I've preached uh, to a mixed congregation and, uh, and now she's against it. She says, my view on female pastors, however, began to change when after 20 years as a false convert, God saved me and I began to read his word for myself for the first time in my life. I think this is a key point, that those who are uh, in these uh, churches that are compromised, let's say, in some ways, uh, it doesn't even have to be a compromised church, frankly, but you, you grow up in a setting where you assume that you're a Christian. And the Word of God uh, is maybe the value that it has is it's, it's a tradition, it's part of your family identity in some way, or it's just uh, good moral rules, stories for your kids. Um, but when you actually come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it comes alive for you. you. You actually look at it, and it's precious, and you want to follow it. And those things that maybe before didn't matter as much to you now all of a sudden matter, and including commands like this. This would be a command very out of step 
with the modern uh, zeitgeist. Uh, to and I'll, I'll read for you some of these commands, but uh, to exclusively say that w- only men can be pastors, you know, that is for for a woman to say that who has filled the pulpit before means that there's been a heart change, and that's what she's trying to say. Passages such as 1 Timothy 3, 1, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And Titus 1, 6, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, are clear that men are biblically qualified not only to fulfill, but also to aspire to the office of pastor, elder, overseer. Concerning women in the gathering of the church, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 confirms women should remain silent in the churches. The people I encounter who dispute these verses in order to make a case for female pastors do so using irrelevant texts. I think this is a a good part of this article because she's not just asserting, here's what I think, here's what the scripture says. She's saying, uh, she's acknowledging there are people who have tried to disagree with this. And here's some of the logic they've used, but here's why it doesn't actually work. Whether it is Miriam, Deborah, Priscilla, Phoebe, or Mary Magdalene, none of these women fulfill the role of pastor, and none of the passages that speak of these women concern themselves with the order and function of the local church assembly. So you think of, uh, and Phoebe's probably the one that's most often brought up, she wasn't a pastor. Uh, Mary Magdalene uh, was not a pastor. Uh, Miriam was not, and you could say, well, they, they led in various capacities, sure. Sure, there was, Deborah certainly led, uh, but... The, the in fact in that passage it's very telling that uh, she basically tells Barack that if she's the one that leads that he's not going to get the credit for and, and it's rightfully his he he should be the one leading uh, as a male um, and, and as the one uh, who who was more fit for that uh, particular role in the book of Judges but anyway um, she points out that they weren't pastors. Uh, others will point to passages such as Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 or 1 Corinthians eleven five, 5, but those passages likewise do not pertain to the gathering of the local church. And uh, one of the cool things about TruthScript, too, and I know this is probably on most blogs, but it does take extra work, just so you know, is all the Bible verses are there. You can click on it. What does 1 Corinthians four eleven says? Oh, it says, so Christ ga- himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Okay, that's what it says. So uh, just a little feature there. Anyway, since the Bible speaks clearly on the subject, why the vigorous debates? I believe it goes back to Genesis 3. So she's trying to explain why people would grasp at straws to try to overturn the Bible's clear teaching. The serpent asked Eve, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? To which Eve confirmed that, yes, God really did say this. And not only did God say it, but if Adam and Eve disobeyed by eating or touching the fruit that their uh, consequence would be death, then the serpent proclaimed, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see two tactics here used by Satan, she says, and it is the same two tactics I see used by those who defend female pastors. The first tactic is to doubt what God's word says. The second is to doubt that he meant it. And it, it really is that simple uh, for Susan, and, and I think for myself as well, and uh, anyone who's a, a serious student of Scripture. Uh, to overturn these very clear uh, passages, you have to, uh, there has to be a motive there. Uh, that uh, seeks to undermine. I, I think of uh, as we are, uh, we are we are listening to this. Many of us, at least, on the Fourth of July. Um, you know how many judges throughout history have tried to undermine the U.S. Constitution? Let's say uh, through. Uh, and it's it's not that they're trying to be faithful to the intent, uh, to the words, to what they actually mean. They try to insert or inject their own meaning. And, uh, and overturn the clear meaning. Uh, and and this, is, this is the same throughout, I mean, business contracts. This is just the human spirit. It's the, the sinful spirit that humans have, at least, is to uh, try to take the clear sometimes and muddy it 
uh, make it unclear. Uh, and uh, in this case, it's to accomplish a goal. And the goal is uh, to, to have an egalitarian uh, outlook in the pulpit. So anyway, she goes on, and I'll let people read the rest of it if they're interested, but uh, uh, she, she talks about how Jesus never called a female apostle, the apostles never appointed a female apostle or elder, the biblical qualification for elder pastors are clear. So uh, that's Susan White and why I reject female pastors. Now, you know, TruthScript is not a, a discernment blog, quote-unquote. It's not a blog that's dedicated to controversies in the church, doctrinal disputes uh, necessarily, and the people who are pushing those things. Um, you're going to get an article now and then here, though, that is going to tackle a subject. And, and this particular subject, I think, is important just because there's multiple denominations that are uh, facing this uh, issue. And so uh, one of the things TruthScript is um, intended to do is to give good resources to Christians, good, short, easy-to-digest resources on current issues. So sometimes that's going to involve things like this, which is uh, there's a discernment element to it. Uh, the next article uh, is called The Surprising Fruit of Cultural Christianity by uh, David Harris. And um, you know, this one is, is interesting because there was a whole debate online uh, last week about um, whether or not Christians should move to red states, to get out of blue states where they're marginalized. In some cases, and I know people were mocking this, but in some cases there is persecution going on. It may not be severe persecution, but... People are being fired from their jobs. I've seen that firsthand in the state that I live in. Uh, you say, well, how so? Well, one of the most obvious ones recently was, uh, it never happened before, but uh, New York State, where I live, uh, decided that they would deny the religious exemption. Uh, and, and of course, most of the people who would want to take advantage of that are Christians, uh, be, do, well, in regards to the COVID uh, vaccine. And so this happened in 2020. Well, that was uh, seen as a clear uh, attack on religion, and by extension, uh, the, the most common forms of religion in the United States, Christianity, because Christians were the ones who were uh, objecting to this. Um, so, I mean, there, there could be probably a hundred more examples given of the little ways in which uh, there are um, either things that make one's life more inconvenient if they're a Christian, living in a blue state or a blue region, or things that sometimes can be outright persecution. Uh, people who are evangelists, and I, and this has happened more and more and more. It doesn't get reported often, but evangelists in various areas, uh, normally areas that are uh, more controlled by liberal progressives, um, facing opposition, sometimes violent, uh, sometimes just being shut down. They're not allowed to make their their message, uh, put their message out there, whereas others are. I mean. Uh, this is the kind of thing that's more and more happening. And, and I think people who see the writing on the wall and say, hey, this could get worse, uh, are, are trying to get out. That's the situation that we're in. So anyways, this is written by David Harris, who, uh, who has this experience to some extent. He said, several months ago, I had the opportunity to visit some family friends who recently relocated to rural East Tennessee from New York City. The couple, I'll call them Tony and Susan, not, not Susan White, <laughs> Both in their 60s are uh, as quintessentially New York as it can get. They talk, sound, and act like New Yorkers, and as someone who was raised no more than 60 miles from New York City, being around them feels familiar and comfortable. I thought it was super strange that they chose to move to a relatively remote part of the Tennessee instead of a more suburban area of Knoxville or Nashville. And this is an interesting thing because 
uh, I know living in Virginia, North Carolina, um, even in California, I guess, because most people don't know. A lot of California is red, actually. It's uh, it's a blue state. But uh, if you look at a map, uh, it's the blue counties just happen to have more population. But the people who move from more uh, progressive areas, we'll say, end up landing in an urban area. Even if they're going to be in a red state, they're going to land in an urban area generally or a suburban area in those red states that's uh, more accommodating. Uh, and a lot of other people who are just like them have moved there. And, and this particular couple, they wanted to get away from that. They didn't. They moved to a rural area. I thought it was super strange that they chose to move to a rev- relatively remote part of Tennessee. Uh, we, ha- we were having dinner. Uh, we learned that they had started going to a local Baptist church. I was intrigued. What were a couple of lapsed Italian Catholics doing? What a bunch of what are they doing with a bunch of backroads Baptists? Further conversation revealed that Susan truly understood the gospel and was planning on getting baptized. This was independent of any influence coming from us, as we hadn't seen them in years. So this is an interesting that you, you can see where this is going already, right? Uh, th- this has led to an exposure to Christianity that would not have happened had they not moved. Um, When I asked what prompted them to start attending church, especially after having no involvement in any church for most of their lives, Susan said something like, well, down here, that's what people do. So we figured we would as well. She went on to explain that after attending church for a few months, she started reading the Bible and was convicted that she was a sinner in need of God's grace. We had the privilege of being at her baptism this last Sunday. We're still working on Tony. What initially struck me after hearing her story was how somebody on the right politically that had chosen to relocate to a place primarily for its support of their value structure had found their way into saving faith in Christ simply by following the logical flow of the cultural Christianity around them. Now, obviously, salvation is a work and gift of God, and he had no doubt been working on Susan for some time. It's probably just a coincidence because, after all, we're often warned about the dangers of Bible Belt cultural Christianity. Uh, A similar pattern. Uh, However, Susan's story isn't really an outlier. In fact, I've heard and encountered similar stories for several years now, most of them since the great paradigm shift that began in 2020. Now, you you, you can think to yourself whether this strikes a chord with you. Um, Here's some examples. Either because of the COVID-19 restrictions, the 2020 BLM rioting, or an increasing number of local drag queen story hours at the local library, an individual or family decides that the blue area they live in isn't ideal anymore. How many people can raise their hand and testify to this? Uh, They relocate, either to a red state like Idaho, Texas, or or Florida, Tennessee, or they move to a more red area inside their blue state. Um, And and I think that's a key thing, too, because I saw some people online uh, trying to say it's it's not about the the state, it's about the region. And I would agree, it's more about the region. Uh, Of course, uh, state governments have uh, a lot of control. And so being in a red state, uh, there's perhaps more safety of a safety net there than being in a red area in a blue state. But both are, are preferable, right? While getting acclimated to the area, they start to deal with the normal things that happen when you relocate, isolation, loneliness, and lack of familial community. So they decide to start attending the local evangelical church. Uh, since they're typical, uh, typically already conservative, the ground is fertile for accepting biblical teaching that already serves as the foundation for much of their worldview. This is another thing that's very true. Uh, conservative political views are built upon basic premises that flow from uh, the Bible, essentially, uh, the the vision of reality that Christians in this fallen world seek to construct 
uh, whatever form that takes, culturally speaking, uh, is going to come from an understanding of the created order. And that created order and then an explanation for it is found in the Bible. This, this is re- really something that wasn't controversial that long ago. It is now. But, uh, of course, conservatism, the right politically in the United States, uh, is less and less Christian, unfortunately. But uh, that, and as they become less and less Christian, they're giving up some of their conservative beliefs. The problem is this isn't uh, how it's supposed to... Uh, actually, let me just uh, back up here. They get saved. If they're a Baptistic church, they get dunked. In a more high church setting, they probably sprinkled. All right. The problem is this isn't how it's supposed to work. We're constantly reminded, often by the likes of Christianity Today or the Gospel Coalition, that the development of cultural Christianity is essentially the worst thing that can happen to accrue to Christianity because faith that's tied to rep- the Republican Party is inauthentic, fake, and ultimately damning. Cultural Christianity is something to be eschewed, not embraced by true Christians. In fact, it's increasingly thought that the less popular and popular Christianity becomes, the more of an impact it will have. And there, and there is, in the, some of the more extreme forms of this, almost a persecution complex. Like, it's really, really good to be... Now, look, if you have a missionary mindset, you want to remain in an area where it gets tough. That's, that's good, that's fine. In fact, I grew up that way. I'm in New York right now. And uh, my, uh, my father moved here, and he told me uh, from a young kid that we were missionaries. And, uh, and that's just the mentality you have to have if you're going to live in one of these blue areas, um, at least more and more. The irony of the vilification of Bible Belt Christianity is that it's routinely vilified by Christian leaders who live in the Bible Belt. I've noticed this too. Those who retain Bible Belt values and relocate to more culturally Christian areas tend to be immensely grateful to live in the places where biblical morality is more common. Even if there's hypocrisy that comes along with it, parts of the country and world that you more closely align with biblical values uh, provide freedom for Christians to live lives more in line with 1 Thessalonians 4.11 and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Um, so there's a lot more to this article. Let, let me, let, let's actually just make our way through. This is a good article. While there's a benefit to those who already uh, are already Christian, there's also seems to be a current phenomenon of conversion to Christianity coming about from a progression of values, as I saw in Susan's case. While there are several other examples I could go into, there are a few as dramatic as the con- conversion of one of the famous atheist Richard Dawkins' former assistant, Josh Timonen. And if you haven't heard this story, this is great. Richard Dawkins' former assistant converts to Christianity. Uh, Living Waters carried this. Um, here's the overview. Josh worked on Richard Dawkins' United States team and built his website. He made and marketed some of Dawkins' merchandise and accompanied him on tours throughout the U.S., After a legal dispute with Dawkins' organization, Josh left working for the atheist cause and moved to Portland, Oregon. During the lockdowns and subsequent rioting in Portland in 2020, Josh and his wife determined that relocation to a more peaceful, family-friendly part of the country would be smart. Landing in Waco, Texas, the Timonins realized that they didn't really have any community in their home. The locals went to church, and in 2020, there wasn't a whole lot open, so they started attending a local cowboy church. Over time, Josh and his wife both experienced... By the way, I, I, just a quick note on Cowboy Church. I'd never been to one, but I happen to know this is one of the things. It, it's often that this particular church setting, and then Cowboy Churches are out west. They're where cowboys are. Um, it, it's often mocked. It's often looked down on. It's often uh, despised by uh, people in more... I, I'm, I don't know what to call it. Ecclesiocentric circles, I guess, where they... you know. To their credit, they want to be about good doctrine, right? And, and good doctrine in the church, and the church really matters, and biblical eldership and all that. And it, it's like, understand, understand, maybe uh, calling it cowboy church 
and is is appealing to one segment. When it's like when you go fishing, you should lose use multiple uh, lures if you're trying to catch all the fish, and this is only going to catch one. But according to this example, it caught more than just a cowboy, and so it's just very interesting to me. And the gospel was there, so uh, you know it, it, you can disparage it all you want. God even uses this kind of thing. Over time, Josh and his wife both experienced a softening of their hearts by hearing the scriptures preached each week and finally both committed their lives to Christ. Obviously, being a conservative, family-focused, gun-owning Republican doesn't save your soul, right? That goes without saying. And if you die without trusting in Christ, then you're not any better off than a purple-haired vegan who lives in Amsterdam and still wears a surgical mask everywhere they go. Also, God saves his people out of cultures and communities very far from Christianity. The one who interacts with a cultural context that generally adheres to biblical principles can also experience a draw to true faith, one that is driven by the faith of those around them. Those who are truly followers of Christ, these are just a few examples of a larger trend, but the overall point is this. Bible Belt cultural Christianity isn't necessarily the spoiler of truth faith, and it's often made out to be. Uh, In fact, cultural conformity to biblical morality can even work as a catalyst to help an unbeliever realize that they need Christ. Additionally, God is at work in our day and age, bringing sinners to himself through various means, including the stark contrast of values between secular progressive values and traditional biblical values. This is what happens when someone uh, who isn't used to living in an area that includes more Christians and people hold the biblical values moves there, and they realize, wow, this is so much better. And, and it's interesting. I've lived in the Bible Belt, and I've lived in, in, very, in a blue area. And you know, one of the things that uh, you, you notice is, is um, I remember— um, when my wife and I moved back down to North Carolina, there was, um, not with myself, because I have a lot of family in Mississippi, but, um, but, but generally in the water in New York, there are these uh, certain bigotries that arise that, uh, y- without any experience of having lived in a Bible Belt area, the assumption is all of those people are a bunch of backwards, hayseed, bigots, uh, they... Uh, they have racist tendencies. They probably um, have sexist tendencies. There's all, all these things associated with them. They're lazy. Um, it's just in the water, in, in a blue area. That's what you're told. And then when you move there, and when you see that actually this is preferable, uh, and it's not what I was told it was, but living here is preferable to what I left, you, your eyes are open. Uh, this is, in fact, I'll just uh, be personal uh, for a moment myself. When I went to seminary and I saw that uh, the seminary that I was in in North Carolina in Wake Forest, uh, was adopting a lot of social justice stuff. I thought to myself, this is what ruined the area that I came from. This is what caused so many of the problems. How are you? Well, the thing is, they haven't had to live in that. Um, garbage is attractive sometimes when you haven't had to live in the dumpster. And so John's calling Blue Area just dumpsters. No, I'm not saying they're dumpsters. I'm saying that I'm, I'm making an analogy, and I'm just saying that um, there's a lot more sin. In, in a, at least it's more prevalent. It's more celebrated. It's more overt. Uh, in your face. And when you go to an area where it's just not the case, you don't have the billboards, you don't have the raunchy magazines, even in the grocery store, you have Christian music playing there. You have, like, you start to think, this is better. What do they have right that, that I, our, the group that I was with had wrong? And it leads to asking these questions and it leads to uh, sometimes conversion. J.P. Spears, by the way, is another example of this. Uh, J.P. Spears, the internet comedian who lived, I believe, in Northern California somewhere, I think near San Francisco, moved to Texas, and now he's pro-life, and he's made a profession of faith, and it's interesting. Uh, growing up in the Northeast, I've often heard conversions about, conversations rather, about our part of the country as being hard soil when it comes to evangelism, outreach, and discipleship. In fact, many areas of the U.S. and rest of the world are described in the same terms. 
Amongst the hard soil, it's worth considering that those who share similar cultural, political, and social values might actually be, in many instances, softer soil. So if you live in a part of the country or world that's more culturally Christian, don't merely look down on those who live uh, uh, among, uh, who you live among, rather, as being inauthentic Christians. That's your mission field, and the fields just might be ripe for harvest. And I think this is so true. This is what so many Christian organizations have missed. Uh, they are busy bending over backwards for the progressive voter in a blue region, like the Tim Keller model. And the people who are most ripe, it seems, for receiving the gospel right now are political conservatives. And no one's reaching out to them. They are forgotten <laughs> as far as anyone of any cultural clout in evangelical circles. It's just that they're, they're not the, the shiny object. And they are the ones that I think most, uh, where the fields are more ripe. In fact, um, I I share the frustration of some who go down south and they try to witness to everyone and everyone says they're a Christian and they're like, no, you're not. And they they have a hard time. They're like, well, at least in in more blue areas, people admit they're not Christians. And that is true. That is true. That's a fair point. Um, But it it doesn't mean that it's hard. The ground is hard where I am right now. The ground is very hard. in fact, we have a team right now. I couldn't do it because of a family obligation later, but we have a team that's going uh, to witness at a Fourth of July parade, and they've been doing this for years uh, from from the church I attend. And um, I mean, they they've had some people in the community that appreciate them uh, or you know recognize them, but as far as people coming to the church based off of that or making professions publicly that we're aware of. Uh, not really. It's it's rare. It's 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 uh, it, it's not like um, it's so much better and it's so much easier to convert. Uh, and it really just depends on where God's moving. God could move and people could get converted, but it seems like right now He is tending to move with people who are more politically conservative. So uh, that's a really good article. Check that out. And then um, yesterday, and this was leading up to the Fourth of July, we passed uh, we posted an article called "Resisting Tyranny." This is from Pastor. Uh, pastor in Germany, actually, named Tobias Reimenschneider, and um, he is the pastor of the Evangelical Reform Baptist Church in Frankfurt. I don't think there's a lot of Reformed Baptists in uh, Germany, so Pastor Tobias is uh, is probably um, uh, unique in that sense. Um, but he asked a question, what is tyranny? According to the German version of a well-known online encyclopedia, tyranny is the term used to describe a regime of violence and arbitrary rule by a, by a ruler or a group regarded as illegitimate. According to this definition, three characteristics uh, make a tyrannical regime. Arbitrary rule, violence, and illegitimacy. So that's arbitrary rule, number one, violence, and illegitimacy. Based on this definition, what was the COVID regime? So he goes through, and this is a great article uh, on what happened during COVID. In Germany, it was much worse than even where I am. Um, and he talks about how basically what they did was tyrannical. What they did was shutting down uh, churches, and uh, not just churches, but other places of employment and livelihood. Um, they, they shut down, they, there was social ostracization associated with this. Uh, and he talks about all that. I, I don't want to give people PTSD, <laughs> but he re- recounts what happened. And he says, what do you call the people who rule in a tyrannical manner? That's right, tyrants. We need to be consistent here, even if it hurts. Those who enacted the COVID measures were tyrants. Likewise, those who did not enact the measures themselves, but enforced them in their Areas of rule and authority were also tyrants. Uh, And and as a German, he made the connection with um, what happened in the 1930s and 40s in Germany, 
Uh, he says, don't be a tyrant. It is not good to be a tyrant, whether on a large scale or as, as, as a state leader or on a smaller scale as a pastor. So this is an interesting point because he's saying, look, pastors can be tyrants too. This isn't just the government. We think of it as the pastor can be a tyrant. And I saw this firsthand. There's a lot of pastors who were tyrants. He's saying, if you went along with the tyranny as a pastor, when you could have stood up against it, you're being a tyrant. Ooh, that is a hard pill to swallow. Um, now he says, uh, or, or actually, let's see, he says, uh, this could be husbands, fathers, employers, uh, for all authority comes from God and God will demand an account of those who use that authority. So the idea here is that there's accountability set up and that we are stewards of God's resources accountable to him. We are not, uh, self-contained, uh, authoritative, uh, people who can make autonomous decisions. That's not who we are. Um, the chief shepherds commands his under shepherds to shepherd the flock of God by eagerly exercising oversight, not domineering over their, those in their charge, but being examples to their flock by being humble, casting all their anxieties on him, being sober-minded and watchful, and by firm in faith, resisting their adversary, the devil. Now, I do want to talk about this on my other podcast, Conversations That Matter Later in the Week, because there is something to this. There are, there, there are um, I'm calling them ecclesiocentric churches for now, but there are these churches that have pastors that are, frankly, they're tyrannical. And I think there's a lot of Christians in them that think they're just submitting to biblical authority, and they're not. They're submitting to a tyrant. They're not submitting to God. Uh, they're submitting to someone who sees themselves as an authority uh, outside, uh, even if they don't self-consciously say that, but their actions prove outside of uh, the, the lane that God has put them in. And I want to ask some very... Um, crucial questions, I think, that will help people understand and open their eyes if they're in that kind of a setting uh, and, and realize, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> and, and so uh, Pastor Tobias is starting to make this, um, uh, make this connection that, that I'm going to make more fully later in the week in the other podcast. But anyway, uh, he quotes Samuel Rutherford from Lex Rex, which is the law's king, and he says, since tyranny is satanic, not to resist it is to resist God. To resist tyranny is to honor God. And he gives some reasons for that. Um, if we do not resist tyranny, we support its lies. Uh, he says, we, uh, when we allow tyrants to encroach on the realm for which God has given us authority, we are no longer fulfilling our duty. Um, he says, if a pastor allows the state to encroach upon his church, he also denies the exclusive headship of Christ. If we do not resist tyranny, we do not love our neighbor. This is a twist, right? This is a reverse uh, move, uh, almost a jujitsu move against those who, who said, uh, actually, loving your neighbor is obeying the state. He's saying, no, loving your neighbor is obeying God. Resisting tyranny by God's grace alone. During COVID, the Lord gave me, my co-pastor, and my entire church the grace to resist tyranny. I cannot emphasize enough that this was not my merit. It is God who gave me courage. It is by his grace that we resisted state encroachment on the church and the family, and it's by his grace that we opened our mouth and spoke against tyranny. We wrote statements against those in the church who called the submission to tyranny. We preached sermons, worked out our statements, published articles and books, wrote letters to the rulers, etc. We did this to defend biblical truth and to stand by the afflicted brethren. And then uh, this all leads to a, a book, uh, and you can purchase it, Resisting Tyranny, A Christian Response to Government Overreach. Resisting Tyranny, A Christian Response to Government Overreach. So if you click on this link, it'll take you right there to the uh, website where you can order this book uh, and its contributions from John MacArthur, James White, and others. And it deals more fully with this topic. What a relevant topic and what an applicable topic uh, in our day and age, but uh, particularly relevant to the 4th of July. As we uh, Today, in the United States of America, we uh, are 
busy celebrating, at least some. I mean, like I said, I know for some people this feels a little kind of, I don't know, just, uh, I think there's some that would want to bring back King George <laughs> if if there wasn't like drag queen story hours and things like that. They're saying, hey, King George might have been better than what we got now. Uh, but but King George, of course, uh, failed to defend the colonies uh, against the tyrannical edicts of Parliament, and, and that included taxation. I know there's a narrative now going around that uh, it really wasn't about taxation. Taxation had a big part of it, uh, but it was more than just taxation. Uh, if you read the Declaration of Independence, you find a whole list of things uh, that uh, the colonists were disgruntled with, that they were disturbed by, um, including overriding local governments, local legislatures, jailing uh, local uh, representatives uh, of local governments, um, it, basically making war on their citizens in various areas. And um, it, it was more of a recognition. That's what the Declaration of Independence, it's more of a recognition that, hey, you, this is how you're treating us. <laughs> it's not that we're making the move that we want to separate. We've we've tried to amend things. We've, we've given you the olive branch petition. And now it's come to the point where you're just, you keep treating us uh, like we're not part of the same country. So we're just going to recognize that fact. And, and there's a lot of people right now in red state America who are saying some similar things. They're saying, you know, the people in D.C., they don't seem to really share the same country with us. They don't share the same values. They don't make policies that help us. They don't, they don't see us. They don't identify with us. Um, and, and so we have similar dynamics at play. I don't know what that means moving forward exactly, but, uh, but we are looking back today at a time when there was a, a tyrant, essentially, who wanted to use uh, a, a region for his own purposes or, or at least allow parliament to use it for their own purposes without standing up for their rights as British, British people. And, and, and this is, um, I think, this is the challenge, like I said, today, is, is do we have similar dynamics forming over maybe more fundamental issues? Um, se- sexual ethics, um, murder, I mean... Murder, murder is celebrated in New York in the form of abortion. And uh, the overturning of Rogerfell didn't do anything. It probably ramped up that stuff in New York just because people are coming from other states to, to the blue state. So, so there, there are just some, some big differences. Uh, even the way that you know, they look at immigration uh, between red states and blue states, uh, even the way that uh, they look at... Um, you know, things like uh, the way history should be taught and remembered. So there, there's so many things across the board that, um, that are differences between these two basic, uh, and these are broad categories, but the blue state and red states of the United States of America. And so um, t- today is a day to reflect on that, to reflect on where we've uh, come from and then where are we going. And uh, it's to remember the sacrifices of the people who thought, you know what, independence is worth it, and we're not going to live under tyranny. And many pastors, even in the Black Robe Regiment, they called it, uh, that's why in England they called it the Presbyterian Revolt, who stood against the crown. And, um, and, and where were those kinds of people in 2020? Where was that spirit? And I think Pastor Tobias is on to something, that that spirit was, uh, w- was missing. There was a lot of pastors who were with the tyrants in that case, and they shouldn't be. And hopefully, many learn their lesson. So that is Truth Script Tuesday for today. I wanted to make uh, just a quick reminder, announcement, uh, reminder for everyone, that uh, we do have a conference coming up, the Overcoming Evil Men's Conference. You can go online. You, easiest way is if you're on the Truth Script website, go to that conference tab, 
and it'll take you uh, to a landing page and then uh, you can register here. And that's um, actually it's, it's going through conversations that matter. But uh, this is a TruthScript sponsored event uh, and really great deal on this. 334 for uh, Thursday night through Sunday morning. Uh, all the meals provided. Culinary students, actually graduates, uh, are the ones who, who make this food. It's very good food for, for a camp. It uh, really is. Um, and I mean, it's a good food for anywhere, but, um, you, lodging is included. Um, people have asked about the lodging. Yeah, it, it is going to be, you're probably going to be in a room like with maybe two other guys, something like that. Bring earplugs. Uh, that's way to not just to cut down on costs, but to make sure that you get to know people and people last year really appreciated that. Um, it's, it's very comfortable, uh, um, facilities at camp of the woods where this is being held. And so um, check it out. Uh, go to um, truescript.com and check out the conference tab if you're interested in that. And of course, uh, if you want to donate to TrueScript, go to the bottom of the page and there's a little donate icon. You can push that, mash that, uh, and then uh, it'll take you to a, a landing page where you can donate through, uh, I think it's Stripe. So um, appreciate all, all everyone who's, who's done so, who's helping uh, this effort. It is a 501c3, so it is a tax write-off. Um, that's it for the podcast today. I hope that was helpful. God bless. Bye now.